Hi, my name's Elijah and welcome to Roots Podcast, an interview channel that takes its first series by diving into the personal stories of those in the hospitality industry, whether it be in the restaurant, out in the field, and those in the media as they look back on where it all started for them. It is a retrospective look on the passion, ambition, and drive involved in a competitive industry. On today's show, we have guest Scott Moletto, who started his journey way back in Orange, coincidentally attending the same primary school as his now two other business partners, Ben Abraham, Luke Simons, even though they never really knew each other until they met at a house party in Wollongong. But it was while you were all studying at Wollongong University that you all decided to, and I quote, make the liver-destroying decision to buy your favourite waterhole in Wollongong, which we now know as Howlamool, and the rest is history. So let's take this back to when you were growing up in Orange in the 90s and the noughties. What was life looking like for Scott Mulatto? Um, the early days was like any childhood in a country town. It wasn't a great deal to do, so we'd hang out at the park, hang out at the pool. Then as we started to grow up, we got to 18, started to drink. Well, we were drinking before then, but we started to drink. Uh, and then we started to venture into Sydney, and that's where it kind of all took off. Yeah, sure. Uh, you were very much into soccer, I saw. Did you play a lot growing up as a kid, or, was, or, or were you just a life supporter of Tottenham? Uh, when I was younger, I did. Played quite a bit, and then I got hurt really early on um, when I was probably 15. So that put a pin in that, and I guess that's kind of where the partying began and the the dangerous love affinity with alcohol began. And <laughs> yeah, what was the injury? Uh, I've had three knee reconstructions. Shit, that's pretty hectic. Yeah, so but 15, two two at 15, and then another one at at 18. Yeah, right. That's pretty hectic. What were some of your other influences as a child in terms of like music or sports? Yeah, very much music. So the whole the punk and hardcore community, and I still I still travelled England quite regularly just to watch football. Yeah, but music definitely. Yeah, for sure. Like like most kids. Yeah, I can tell by the tats that music's been a big part of your life. Uh, I noticed the "Have Faith in Me" tat that you recently got. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna assume a day to remember maybe touched your heart more than Parkway Drive did, or. Uh, <laughs> no. So it was actually a trophy eyes take on a day to remember quote. Um, oh. That tattoo is about eight years old now. Yeah, it touches a special heart, eh? Yeah, um, a, a punk band from Newey, uh, where I actually lived for a year, that um, has a special place in my heart. So I'll, um, <laughs> I'll always wear that one with a bit of pride. So you should. All right, so you finished high school in Orange. Where did you go from there? Like any unsure kid, I jumped from industry to industry. So I actually have a diploma in gemology from the Gem- Gemological Institute of Australia. Yeah, right. Uh, studied hospo, then ended up working for a mining company as an auto electrician. When was that? As an apprentice. Uh, from like 19 to 22. But I was awful at it. I was really bad at it. I hated the culture. I hated the people I worked with. It was just a really toxic environment. And at that point, I made the, the move to Wollongong and ended up bartending. And that's, that's where it started. So uh, I'm assuming after that, working in mining, you decide to purchase the bar in Orange? Or was that... Coming over to Wollongong? No, it, it came a bit later. So I must have left when I was 21. Um, and I came down here and I bartended and went to Newey for a year. And that's when the idea for Orange came up. Yeah, sure. And you were doing a degree at Wollongong, right? Oh, no, I went to uni for six months. <laughs> well, I, I can't even call it six months because I didn't finish the semester. Yeah, what were we doing? Business. Oh, yeah, hectic. Ironically. <laughs> that's pretty sick. So it was after that six months, then you decide to open up the bar in Orange? That was kind of like muddled into the middle of it somewhere. Um, I'd already gone to Newcastle and I was working there and living there and I called mum one day and I said, this is what I want to do. And we were like, all right, we'll we'll pull the pin on it and came back and yeah, made it happen. So what was that kind of process like as well, coming back from Newcastle and and setting up a place in 
orange, but having been in Wollongong, what was that kind of like being a couple of hours away? That bit wasn't weird. The, the weird bit was I was definitely like not qualified to do what I was doing. So <laughs> I'd worked in a couple of bars and, but I did know that I knew enough to make it work in orange. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, not unfortunately, I I'd never worked in Sydney. So I didn't go through like the Swill House training or the Maryvale or, or any of that. So, I mean, all my training came sitting at the end of the bar at Ramblin' Rascals. <laughs> no, no, seriously, for a year I'd sit there and whenever Charlie or Darden made a drink, I'd ask them about it and they'd tell me and I'd scribble notes into my phone. <laughs> so on my days off, I'd go and sit, sit there and that's, that was where like most of my training came from, which was crazy. But it worked out, kind of. <laughs> what has? It worked out for long enough that we could then employ someone who did know what they were doing. Yeah, for sure. And what is it at that time you started your Goodwill Only, oh, sorry, the Good Times Only? brand yeah good times took off once we took over the howling so once there was more than one venue in the group um we're trying to work out how to sell a brand and not just one bar and that's kind of where we we came up with that and i think someone kept saying good vibes only one night at work and then at like buy a coffee the next morning it was good times only and we went and registered it (laughs) (laughs) and then attached that label to everything everything yeah yeah sure 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 and you knew the other two owners, Ben Abraham and Luke Simons, growing up since primary school, right? It was actually high school. High school? High school. So we ended up, yeah, at the same high school in year seven. Never really had anything to do with each other. Um, very different social circles. And then school finished. We all went our own ways. Luke actually ran a, a pub in Orange. He was actually the first, the first time I was ever, at, like, escorted out of a venue was by Luke. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, which is which is still a, a story we tell all the time. That's hilarious. That's how you met your business partner. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, then I moved to Wollongong. Benny was already here, and I was like playing FIFA one day, and Luke walked into my lounge room. I was like, "What are you doing?" And he's like, "I don't know anyone. Do you want to have a beer?" And yeah, now we're here. <laughs> all right. Now you, you guys began going to your favourite waterhole in Wollongong, as you as you quote, and and after some time thought we should buy this place too. Run us through that story of integrating Wollongong into that business model from Orange to here and having what we now know as Howland Wolf. Well, the Wolf was always there. Um, probably when I first lived in Wollongong, I actually ran it. That was my first like, uh, bar, ma- like, bar manager's role. Yeah. I did that for probably 12 months, maybe. I think that's how it all worked out. Um, and at that time, like, Luke used to come in on weekends and like glassy. And we really liked the vibe of the place, but we ended up moving our separate ways. Um, and then the opportunity came up to like came on the market um, and I called the boys and I was like we should do this um, and they were both very hesitant at the start it took a bit of a bit of talking them into it and I think Luke failed at a uni exam and he, he called me he's like right, we're, we're on <laughs> let's just do it so yeah so you started you're working at Howlam Wolf while you were studying and then after the six months of doing uni that's when you decided to jump on and do it yeah kept working uh, ran it for another six months and then made the move to Newey. When did you guys pick up Howlin' Wolf? Was that... Uh, February 2017. Oh, yeah. Sure, sure, sure. I think it's three and a half now. Yeah, hectic. Yeah, right. Yeah, because I remember going there... The bar itself was probably eight years old. Yeah, because I remember going there in 2014, 15... Yeah, I think it was like 2014, 15. Was, were you working there at that about point? About that time, yeah. Yeah, right. That's, that's, that's actually pretty funny. Because um, when I turned 18, my oldest brother, who was 10 years older than me, 
was super keen to just get his like youngest brother out on on for a night on the on the slosh. And he, he was like, oh, man, I've got to take you out to Howlin' Wolf. And I was like, yeah, what's, what's this place? Like, I'd never been out to Wollongong. Uh, and that'd be the next place you'd go to for a couple of drinks. And that was kind of the, the realest bar I think I'd ever been to at that point. Like, I'd never really been to, like, an actual nice bar to sit down and have a good quality drink of, like, scotch or gin. I was huge into whiskey at that time and scotch. And I was like, oh, you know, when my brother was talking this place up to me, I'm like, damn, maybe this is probably my, my place, like my calling, like my waterhole, for example. Yeah. And I was like, oh, this would be hectic. This would be, this would be mad. So when we're on our way there, I just couldn't stop imagining this, this place, you know, as, as something that we'd be playing jazz music. You're sitting there drinking whiskey and there'd be like maybe a smoke machine rolling smoke on the floor. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that, that's the kind of this idea of this whiskey bar that I had in my head. And I remember waiting in line and I stepped in there and this is like loud music pumping. This, you know, bartenders having shots with the, the customers. There's fucking Django blocks flying on the floor. I was like, this is fucking sick. Like, yeah, I mean, <laughs> like with every manager it's had through there, um, it's had like a bit of a style change. Like Timmy Day, who's an old like hospo veteran around here was running it before me and he brought his own crowd with his own music taste yeah and i was in there and it, i used to play heaps of swing and <laughs> then after i left jay cosma who's now the gm of shady pines yeah, yeah. Like even jay did a stint so jay brought like a different approach to drinks which obviously i didn't have because he, kn- he knew how to make drinks yeah well <laughs> um and then after he left he went back up to sydney and then someone else rolled in and yeah it, it it had its, t- like, definitely had its moments. Yeah, for sure. And I could definitely see how the influences of, of what you now see at Howlin' Wolf could definitely be taken from Rambling Rascal. I remember the first time me and my partner were at Rambling Rascal, which is only probably like two weeks ago now. Uh, and one of the one of the bartenders was collecting uh, empty shit tinnies and throwing them over the bar from like a couple of meters away, just like just tossing them over. Like obviously there's no one in the way there. Like he wasn't throwing them yeah. at people, but he's just like a couple of meters away and he's just like throwing throwing hoops into the bin from like ages away. And well, I was like, they've got their tip jar on the back bar with a basketball hoop. See, like this it, just people throwing coins at like their back bar. It's hectic, like, it's okay. yeah. Yeah, I, I went in there and I was like, man, like this is fucking. This reminded me of heaps of how I'm all for the first time I went in. I was like, just like just so chaotic, but, like fun. It was hilarious. I was like, this is so enjoyable. To, yeah. sit down and have a drink and everyone's having a laugh and enjoying themselves if not uptight or yeah. you know like you said wearing the buttons and bow ties kind of thing like everyone's just kind of loose and it's, it's fun man like no one as long as no one's you know harassing anyone you're just there to have a drink and, and have a laugh it's well that that's it they've got like this like no bullshit approach to like acting like an adult mm. like you walk in and there's a, a quote on the wall and it's like don't be a dick <laughs> but like we've like we've like we, I mean we asked them if we could do it but we wrote that above our door because we're like that's like Everyone's an adult. Act like a fucking adult. Yeah. <laughs> Don't be an idiot. Like. Yeah. I, I remember reading that was the approach that you, Luke and Ben, really wanted when you opened up Howlin' and, and the future bars is that you're there for a good time, not, not a long time. You want everyone to just be there to have a laugh and, and not be a dick. Well, I mean, it's a bar. You should be able to go and get drunk and not worry about someone hitting you or someone like being inappropriate with your partner or just anyone. Like, you want a safe environment for everyone. Um, and you should be able to have that. Yeah. And that's but I, I think we've done pretty well over the last few years to like eradicate that that shitty behaviour and just having like a zero tolerance on it kind of gets you a bit of a reputation for that. And people don't want to do it, then see ya. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about how you came about owning the third venue, Dagwood. What was the decision like to keep expanding your portfolio as a business? And what did you think owning a venue like Dagwood would bring to the Good Times Only Group? Well, funnily enough, we were actually building um, building births and deaths. Um, when that came up 
for purchase. So we were in the early days of building this and that came up and we had to sort of rejuggle our finances and investors, which turned out to be one of the most chaotic three months, six months of our lives. Mm. We would never do it again. But it worked out. So we ended up having Dagwood's doors open before birth uh, was completed. Mm. Um, unfortunately, it really it worked out, but it was a it was a pretty pretty rough pretty rough period of time. It was it nearly nearly a few uh, mental breakdowns? Really, yeah. just opening up Dagwood. Well, we were splitting ourselves, and everyone was doing like hundred hour weeks, and no one was sleeping. Like if you weren't on service, you're up at birth, like painting something. Or yeah, but I mean, we put ourselves through it. <laughs> We've got no one to blame but ourselves. Yeah. How did you guys, as a business, try to, to split that in terms of having Howland, Dagwood, and you obviously having the Washington and Co. in Orange? Uh, fortunately, we had... Well, Luke's the venue manager at the Wolf, so, like, sure. outside of his, like, 50 hours of service he was doing, he'd come up here and help. Um, I did the same with Dagwood. We, we had a, a really good venue manager in Orange who, like, looked after that, so that sort of negated that problem. And then Benny was just, like, full-time putting out fires <laughs> and there was, there was a lot of them so he, he did really well yeah uh, and then births deaths and marriages came along which you've even mentioned to me today is quite a unique approach to it that aims to provide cocktails and drinks to its customers that are a very australian based you said you guys have uh, 100 australian gins on rotation at all times and i think that's a pretty unique thing has that always been important to you to kind of support that australian industry through the businesses you own when I was younger, I, I wouldn't have thought about it, but it, gets to, it got to a point with the other venues where we were putting out a good product, but there wasn't a lot of care taken into like what was happening to get that product on the table. Um, and then we met up with Jared Huck, who's now a business partner at Births, and it was something he was super interested in, and it kind of just sort of developed from there. And one of our staff members is Indigenous, and we started chatting to him, and he brought sort of his like passion for the, like the land to the table, and it's just kind of snowballed. Yeah. I read an article where your now fourth business partner, Jared Huck, said having a bar at the old births and deaths and marriages building was the perfect place because it coincidentally represented the sustainability ethos of the births and deaths of your ingredients and how you reuse waste from your food and drinks to make ingredients for other drinks. Has this idea always been important for you guys as well as the births, deaths and marriages bar? I guess in terms of like the naming, um, obviously the registry of births, deaths and marriages which is now Service New South Wales was in on that site for like 20 years so there's like a lot of like I mean I'm not sure what the word is not brand, not associate it's like a word association like if you think but if you hear births and deaths and you're from here originally like you'll know that was here yeah so for us like to be able to have like promote that product or that brand and advertise it people knew that that was here yeah if that makes sense yeah for sure so that was kind of our thinking there but no we didn't really get super passionate about the concept until we met jared yeah right he kind of sort of lit that fire in us and um sort of drove us to think differently yeah um and thankfully he did because it, it's made our company better as a whole yeah and i'm assuming that kind of sustainability maybe he had a lot of influence growing up in cairns a little bit, yeah, but he's just—he's a very passionate bartender who, like, genuinely like gives a fuck. Yeah, like he loves it. <laughs> um, so, like, we'd be doing things in other venues, and he'd pull us aside and he'd be like, "Don't." Do yeah, this. right. And it, it kind of goes back to that—that that point I was making earlier, where like we weren't trained in Sydney. Like most of the stuff we've sort of learned along the way, or taught ourselves, or yeah, um, we try and like 
bringing in bigger bars for like pop-ups quite regularly. Yeah, sure. So I've had PS40, maybe May, um, Maddie Linklater when he was with Bulletin. Yep. Yeah, right. Um, so we've brought people like that in and try to learn as much as we could and take it on. And Yeah, yeah, sure. And that, those collaborations have been strong with Births and Deaths for a while. Yeah, yeah. It's been sort of essential to us developing this brand and image and letting everyone know what we do. Yeah, sure, sure. What was your initial goal behind how you wanted the bar vibe to be like, even way back when you invested in Washington & Co? Because there's definitely a consistent atmosphere between your Wollongong bar venues for sure. You know, everyone's there to have a good time, they're fucking around, just having a laugh and a drink and enjoying the time. I was wondering if the idea of what atmosphere you wanted to have had changed over time. No, not at all. Like, from day one, it's just been creating an environment. I think it's the same for anyone in the industry, whether or not you're a bar owner, a bartender, a glassy, like, you want to work and be a part of what you enjoy. Like, there's no point coming to work if you're fucking miserable and, like, your boss is a dick. (laughs) Or you're not getting paid. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> but um, no, for us, it's just like purely creating a good time. Yeah. And that's all it is. Like, I mean, that's not all it is. From that, we've sort of been able to develop berths and turn the, some of the other venues into different versions of what they were, but it's all revolving around having a good time. Did you guys ever have any complaints about how you guys handle the venue? Like, what are some of the silliest ones you've had to deal with? Uh, we, we managed to insult the whole... Um, suburb of Dapdo. <laughs> Who hasn't? Yeah, a couple of times. Um, when Corona Sunsets was on, Luke threw the Dapdo Corona Sunsets, which was like a subpar music festival of its own at the Wolf. Yeah, sure. Um, a couple of like jabs at the at the suburb, and a few people weren't happy on social media, and obviously we responded with a bit of humour, and it just <laughs> it, it didn't go well. <laughs> Well, I mean, I mean, it might have worked for our crowd, but we probably alienated ourselves from a, fuck, a couple of people. Yeah, right. Eh? Any, any other ones you've had to deal with that have been pretty silly? I don't know. I think it was a bit of a culture shock when, like, for, like, the Wollongong community to walk into, like, a bar and the bartenders are wearing, like, boxer shorts and an apron. <laughs> so that, that was really... That was different for them. Yeah, sure. Um, obviously, like, us, like, you go to Frankie's and, like, they're in overalls. You go to Rascals, they're half naked. So for us, like... It's kind of just like what we wanted to recreate, but for the guys down here, they just never seen it, um, which ma- which makes it hard when you're, you're trying to kick a, a six foot five rugby player out for taking his shirt off and swinging it around. And <laughs> you're in an apron and fireball speedos, like <laughs> it makes for it makes for a pretty hard chat. But <laughs> we wouldn't change it. Have you guys ever had any like big profile people come through your doors? Big Wendell Sailor comes in for our lunch every now and then. Oh yeah. Oh, he's a local hero. What are you talking about? <laughs> he, he is. I mean, I'm not. I'm not from here, so I, I didn't really get it. Yeah, right. but yeah, he pops up all the time. No one else really. <laughs> no, it's not, it's not. It's not like the city where, like, you'll have the Foo Fighters roll through Frankie's or. Yeah, yeah. What, what's what's been some of the the coolest experiences opening your bars since what? What was the year you opened up Washington and Co? I mean, it's been a very blurry five years. Really. I, I, I honestly just think it's five years of going to work with your mates and having a fucking good time. Like, it's busy and it's stressful, but I get to hang out with my two best mates five days a week. I get to get drunk with my best mates most days of the week. Like, for me, it's living the dream. Like, I don't think I could put it any other way. Yeah, sure, for sure. Now, I just wanted to touch lightly on the recent coronavirus that's just happened. How did you and your business partners originally think this was going to play out? And what was it like for you going through this until now? Initially, it was really, really frightening. I was, um, I was in Japan holidaying when it first kind of like broke. I actually went to Japan as it 
like the first few cases started to develop here and I was like, I wasn't sure and I ended up going, but within a week of being there, it had gotten really bad. So I jumped on the plane and came home and had to go straight into ISO. And I was only back like two or three days and they'd already shut all the venues. Shit. Yeah, so at that point, and that was a really nasty, nasty day because they, they cut the capacity on the Friday and then by Sunday, Sunday morning, everyone was shutting Sunday night. Mm. I think that day we, I think we laid off like 45 people. So that was rough. Um, <clears throat> I still remember like the Sunday night I was sitting in my parents' lounge room calling Ben. I was like in tears. It was just like a, a horrible, horrible experience. And then we, I don't think we could operate for two or three weeks, two weeks. They sort of relaxed it a little bit and we could open like a little bottle o and once there was a bit of normality, we kind of could reapproach it and we sort of sat and worked out what we were going to do and came up with a game plan. And yeah, the, the first week wasn't, wasn't very nice at all, but then coming out of that, like we copped a few like really good breaks from the government between rent reductions and JobKeeper. That made it all easier. I, I think it's probably a little bit easier for us down here than the city because there's still so many families living around here and like, the uni's huge. So like we have such a big population like just in town. We've been really fortunate to have like a ton of foot traffic and a community that just wants everyone to like get through it. So yeah, it, it could have been a lot worse for us. We were really, really fortunate. Yeah. What has been the difference in terms of managing back in Orange to Wollongong and place like births and deaths? Have you noticed the change in, in how you were able to come back from this? Yeah, Orange, it took a lot longer to get going, which must say something about the demographic of clientele out there. The first week the venues opened, they it was almost like it was back to normal with reduced capacity, whereas Orange was like slow. Like it was doing like a fifth of its regular turnover. Within a month, there was a bit of normality, whereas Wollongong kind of just like stayed at the same point. But we've kind of sort of see it all. The last two weeks, it's been for us quite normal. I'm not, I'm not sure how it's sort of traveling in like the major cities um, with like the CBDs and if people aren't working in town. Like I imagine that's probably really, really difficult. But for us, it's, it's been pretty good, all things considered. And then we come from Dagwood to owning, or oh, picking up Little Prince as well. Yeah, yeah, that's been that's really recent. So the prints only happened in like September, October of last year. Could have been later. Could have been closer. To, no, December. It was in December, which was a really awful time. So the, we didn't really do anything with the venue for the, for the past six months, but it's under Renault at the moment and will open up in about a month. So Little Prince has been closed, just getting fixed up. Yeah, yeah, completely different, different vibe, different style of service, different yeah. music. It's going to be a bit of a change, um, and it's not what the old clientele are expecting. But it's time. Like it's, it played such an important role in like the development of like the cocktail culture in Wollongong and the drinking culture. But what we've kind of found is it's this massive bar, which was still trying to be like an intimate cocktail bar. But now you've got a ton of like small intimate cocktail bars. So you've got like your black cockatoos, your births, your movements, your uncle box, who can give this like really like, I guess, personal service in a tiny venue. Whereas we were trying to do that to like 200 people on a deck and it just, in the end, it wasn't the right thing to do. So out of that, we've come up with a new concept and a new style of service and we'll see how it goes. Yeah, so when people rock up to Little Prince, they should expect to see a don't be a dick outside of the front door? Uh, <laughs> no, no, that, you, that won't at that one. <laughs> it won't be at that one. No, so it's, um, it's a little bit like that mentality will still be a thing. Um, the staff will still treat each customer in the same way as they do at the other venues. Sure. But it's a little bit more polished in terms of fit out. Okay. A little bit more refined. So, so like Hallam Wolf back in the day or? No, like, like Coogee Bay. <laughs> that nice. The, the, the venue's gone from this um, really like closed in and dark, intimate like 30s jazz bar to... I mean, it's white and terracotta now. 
Oh, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, right, pushing for it. Yeah, so we're, we're tapping cocktails, which we're going to produce ourselves. So we've got like a little like kegging cocktail program we're about to get up and running. So rather than buying it in, we're actually going to develop, like do it ourselves on site. Oh, and then sell them from there? Or? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. So that's just our way of providing to them a good product to the masses, which we can control and sort of play around with each week and do something a bit different. Yeah, sure. Uh, so then that brings us to goodwill only. Tell us about picking up that and the idea behind that because that was a very different step from owning bars. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Um, so this is actually the second year of Goodwill. It, it popped up in between. Last year for two months, we operated very much like lentil as anything. So it was a pay what you feel, vegan restaurant where anyone and everyone could eat, sit together. If you had money, cool. If you don't, cool. Most of the products were donated. I think the product, the project... I think we had 41,000 donated and we used like 900 of it on produce. Yeah, right. The rest was donated and um, foraged. But there was a bit of a twist. Like we we paired up with the Homeless Hub and Age Matters, which is like an arm of the Retirement Trust who look after vulnerable elderly people. And they had social workers on site. So rather than us as hospital workers trying to like help people who have a lot going on, we had a social worker there who could like sit with them, work out where they were at, link them up with the right people, try and get them into accommodation. Whereas like we, we could have done it and had a crack at it, but we wouldn't have done it the justice it deserved. So for two months that 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 restaurant operated and it was a really, really cool thing. Like it was the first or second day we had a gentleman come in who was in a really bad way and we convinced him to stay and eat. Um, we found him a tent and we set him up for the next few nights and we actually got him into um, temporary accommodation that week with the with the hub. Yeah. Um, which he's actually been in since. Um, and he's been approved for transitional housing. So he's got housing for two years uh, because there was a social worker on site who could help him and like knew like the right way to go about it. But like he, he ended up becoming our best volunteer. Like he, I think he missed two nights of the whole two months. He used to come on the fruit runs to Sydney with me. Twice a week we'd go and pick up greens and any old root veg they had. And mm. It was a big, big part in how we could keep our overhead so low. But then obviously we're going to do that again this year, but COVID hit. Um, we sort of sat and were like, how can we, how can we still put out food and use our skill set? And we got in touch with Bulambi Neighbourhood Centre, who are a really cool service. But their premise is actually owned by council. And council said at the start of the, the start of the pandemic that like they can't have people on site producing food just because there's obviously too many risks. So we've been able to drop off four or five hundred meals every week and just keep that part of what they do going. They're they're a really essential service. It's everything from they've got two social workers on site. They help them with bills, needle exchange, you name it, they do it. Um, Really, really cool service. So for us to be able to help prop up that part of what they do was a really, really nice feeling. But that actually finishes tomorrow. So that's gone on for 12 weeks this year. Um, Goodwill, the restaurant finishes tomorrow? Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. So that's 12 weeks... I think we've put out almost 9,000 meals. Since it's opening at the start? Yeah, since the opening 12 weeks ago. Oh, 12 weeks ago. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. I'm not sure what we did last year. It would have been about the same, even though it was only two months. But we're going to enter like the next phase, uh, which is we're trying to team up with 15 restaurants to put out 30 meals a week each. And then we're going to assign them at their own volunteer who will, they'll liaise with each other, pick up the meals and get them to where they need to go. So rather than eight volunteers sort of working out of one space each week and giving up two days. Everyone can kind of take the load of it. Um, and there's a three-month plan for that, just till everyone's back on track and can cook again. And then 
it's actually going to evolve into like a cooking school for the for those who probably haven't had that opportunity. So we'll go to the neighbourhood centre, the homeless hubs, um, and anything like that, and give like a tutorial and eat with them. But at the same time, give them the a recipe, give them a care package with what they need to cook it, in the hope that they'll go home and give it a go. And they, no, they won't all do it, and that's okay. I mean, just getting people out of the house to cook and socialise is a big part and a big positive. But if we can encourage that sort of want to cook good food, then that's great. Yeah. I just want to take this back to opening up Goodwill Only as a restaurant and business that purely is there to support the community. What was that decision like wanting to do that? And what has that meant for for you personally? I mean, the whole idea was born out of the fact where we used to roll out of work at 12 or oh, two in the morning and you'd be sort of walking to a taxi and you'd see someone sort of like sleeping on the street and it's wet and cold and I mean you feel for a bit and then you jump in your taxi and go home and jump in your bed and then you forget and that happens enough and it gets to a point where we kind of said like this is a bit fucking rough like I mean I, I feel bad seeing it so I can only imagine how they feel and at that point we'd never sort of volunteered anywhere or had anything to do with these communities and we ended up getting in touch with the homeless hub and they steered us in the right direction of finally opening the the restaurant but yeah a a lot of nights of like kind of feeling like a piece of shit but i mean it's given us a platform to do something quite cool which is which is really nice i'm on the sort of front line of it but my business partners have like sort of allowed me to step away from what we do for two days a week just to sort of lead it so like their sacrifice has been awesome like i asked to do it and i wanted to do it but they've backed it the whole way and for us it's like really cementing ourselves as part of the community and giving back when we can we don't want people to look back in like 20 years and think we're shit dudes (laughs) so um for us if we can if we can give back when we can and sort of grow that part of the business that'd be really good how do you think the that has had an impact on the community as well it's provided a lot of meals to a lot of people that need it the fact we had social workers on site in the first year was pretty important because there was a little bit more to it and we've formed sort of relationships with parts of the community which we never would have i mean i I can walk down the street now and say hello to quite a few people who i never would have before and that's pretty cool and tell us about the angle of goodwill the restaurant being vegetarian was that something that was personal to you or you just knew that it would just work well with the community no that one like it was purely one it's cost effective like to cook vegan food on a large scale is quite economical like we're putting out 800 meals a week at 600 bucks with and that's like paying for the containers like the containers cost the most Mm. but it doesn't exclude anyone so whether or not it's a dietary requirement religious requirement health like it's the doctor's orders like everyone can eat that and there's no problems so we just found it just made things easier well let's talk about the transition then of the business model for goodwill now to the future you mentioned you're going to start our cooking school what else is kind of tying along with that and where do you want goodwill as as a, a name or a business to go we're lucky to have like a platform and like a skill set where we can help so the cooking school might kick on for six or nine months but then come again next winter we'll go back into like a kitchen mode where we can feed people when it's cold kind of go down that road again um what happens in between each year we'll just i don't think we'll know till it happens um the idea for the cooking school only came up maybe a week and a half ago and we went and had a chat to a couple of people and they thought it was a good idea so but it might we might get like three months in and realize it's not working or it's not the most effective use of resources and time and 
we'll put our heads together again and just try and work out how we can best help the community. And will this be like a, a, a free cooking service or will this be another one of a kind of pay-as-you-feel kind of class? No, this, this one's free. Yeah. So we'll, we'll put out like a little donation drive um, from those who can afford it and do want to contribute and sort of help those who aren't doing well. And then we'll go into those communities and we'll provide it all. We're going to trial run it at Bilambi um, for probably the first month just to see how it goes. And then if the model works, then we'll approach other neighbourhood centres and homeless hubs and see if they're interested in the same service. Uh, the kitchen, like always, will be led by Simon Evans, ex now Night Parrot. So Simon will sort of look after the kitchen. We'll write recipes. If other chefs want to get on board and take the reins one week, like we're, we're looking for that to happen. Um, but Simon will definitely sort of dictate how we go about it. We're just trying to make it simple. So the more we can simplify it and make it easier for those we're, we're working with, the better. Outside of that, we've got an army of volunteers who have been helping us two days a week for the past 12 weeks and they're really keen to get on board and, and make it happen again. So we're not going to have a shortage of volunteers, but hopefully the community will perceive it the way we, we, hope, we hope and it'll do the, the good we hope. If there's a way that maybe chefs or cooks or even nutritionists could jump on board to help for classes, is, is that possible? Yeah, I mean, we're at this, at this point, like we're open to ideas from everywhere. This isn't like, a, like an ego stroke for anyone. It's just a heap of people trying to do a heap of good and feel okay about themselves. So if anyone has any advice or can contribute in any way, absolutely. Like my email is scott at goodtimesonly.com.au. You can get in touch with any, any of our like Instagram pages or Facebook pages. Like, yeah, I mean, Goodwill has its own Insta and Facebook. So jump on there, get in touch and yeah, we'll, we'll chat to anyone about anything. Yeah, sure. Uh, it really seems as though from an outside perspective that every business that you, Ben and Luke seem to open and now even Jared, you're hitting for the sixes, you're getting home runs and coming out with a century every game you play, which is pretty sick to see. But what do you think has been your overall success over the years? I mean, like some of them have been a grind to get going. And I mean, there's a lot of hard work involved, but I mean, at the center of it is that focus on having a good time and trying to like bring out the best in everyone that works for us and yeah, I don't know. I, th I think it just comes back to that, that community vibe. Like, people know if they come into the bars that they'll be treated with respect and we'll try and put out the best product that we can. But, I mean, the product probably isn't the most important thing in the end either. Like, it's that having a good time and just being treated like, like a person. Yeah, for sure. Uh, well, I just wanted to say on behalf of uh, a lot of people, cheers for upping the nightlife in Wollongong because it just started with uh, Howl and Wolf. Uh, and even Washington and Co. back in Orange, I'm sure I can say cheers. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure, and thanks so much for sharing your journey here on Roots Podcast. Thanks again for listening to another episode of Roots Podcast. Be sure to tune in next Saturday for the latest release. Cheers. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, man. Easy.